0: Hey there, safety enthusiasts. This is Tim Ludwig from SafetyDoc.com. It's good to have you here. Welcome to Insights into Your Safety Culture podcast, which is simulcast as a blog on SafetyDoc.com. Join us on Safety-Doc.com for 30 years of research, stories, videos, books, and blogs, all to get your safety culture fix. Now let's get to it. For those about to rock! <laughs> you know, mowing the lawn could be a real chore. I don't have to tell most of you. It's certainly not something I look forward to. You know, it's also a chore that can be quite hazardous. Lawnmower blades can spin up to 200 miles an hour. Contact with these blades costs 20,000 injuries a year, including 600 incidents of amputation and 75 deaths simply by mowing the lawn. I did some work with the Tennessee Valley Authority's nuclear plant near Chattanooga, Tennessee. We were doing an assessment of their safety culture. What I heard from them is a claim I've heard many times that companies with positive, strong safety cultures. The quote goes something like this. Drive down the streets here and you'll know we work here. You see us mowing the lawn with full PPE, steel-toed boots, all the way up to the safety glasses. You know, they take it home. You know, it made me reflect on my career as a lawnmower. When I moved into my first house, I was about 20, invincible and stupid. I'd mow my lawn with no gloves or glasses. My short pants were complimented with my lack of a shirt. You know I had to have that bronze summer tan. And of course, I tended to be lazy and, and not mow very frequently, Enough so the grass was typically like a foot high when I finally went out to do the chore. I quickly found out that bagging my clippings resulted in a lot more work pulling and dumping the bag every run through the yard. Therefore, I I gave up bagging bagging long clippings altogether. As a result, the rocks and sticks would fly out randomly. As a safety geek, I look back at this in embarrassment and a lot of thankfulness that I wasn't seriously injured. Mowing the lawn nowadays, well, you know, I look a lot more like those employees that I interview. I got the steel-toed boots, I got long pants, I got long sleeve shirts, leather gloves, safety glasses, the whole getup. I maintained the blades and I bagged the debris. So what changed my behavior? You got me wondering, what made me change from the risk-prone mower of my 20s to the safety mower that I've become today? Now, many folks would answer this question, well, Tim, it's because you got hurt. You know, they reason that uh, the painful consequence of an injury would change my behavior, and, and indeed, this happened. I was out back mowing a grove of trees one afternoon, and I hit a rock that shot out, hitting the tree, ricocheted back, and slicing my exposed leg. You know, did I go back inside to my family and admit that I hurt myself? Daddy got an alley. That would not work out at all. I'd been insisting that my kids wear all types of PPE when they they play and do chores. In fact, one of my favorite speeches I give is about my son refusing to wear elbow pads and knee pads while he was skateboarding. Plus, you know, I'd never hear the end of it from my loving wife, who likes to point out the contradictions when I take risks like this. So, to be honest, I snuck inside... I cleaned up the wound, put my long pants on, to finished the lawn. But did I keep wearing long pants and using the clippings bag every time thereafter? Yeah, for a time. Maybe two. Yes. But then I went back to shorts and no bagging. Funny, but even an injury didn't change my behavior. Injuries are so unlikely to happen that they're not a very powerful consequence to change behavior. In in our behavioral science, we call this the avoidance paradox because we typically never come in contact with the negative reinforcement from an injury. Therefore, it doesn't really motivate us. My friend, Cloyd Heighton, and I wrote a scholarly article on this topic if you you need some bedtime reading. Uh, Contact me for a copy. I'd be glad to give you a copy. The improbable consequence of getting hurt did not change my behavior. It doesn't change yours, and it most likely doesn't change your employees. Instead, the more probable and more immediate consequences of safe mowing, well, <laughs> it's wearing sweaty clothing, heavy clothing, and having a stop all the time to clear out the clippings bag, and sweating on my safety goggles so I can't see you know, doing the safe behavior is often more uncomfortable and, and typically more inconvenient and, and certainly takes more time. These types of consequences punish safe behavior in our backyard mowing as well as in many of our job tasks. Quite simply, the positive consequences of being safe, they need to outweigh the negative consequences. And in any case, it just doesn't add up and then the risks are taken. Huh. So... If getting hurt didn't work, what made me change my behavior from taking risks in my 20s and my 30s, to be honest with you, to the safety precautions that I use now? A second answer would be, well, Tim, you're a dad and and you need to model the safe behaviors that you want to see in your children. That's a good answer. My boys have a lot of safety requirements. I already told you about the challenges getting my oldest son to wear his knee and elbow pads when skateboarding. Well, this safety geek dad strikes again and again on his kids. I took my youngest son, Forrest, to see ACDC in concert when he was young. And, of course, we both wore earplugs, although uh, I tore mine in half so I could hear Angus's solo even better. And I thought Forrest would want to end up being a rock lead guitarist like Angus Young. But afterwards, he decided he wanted to be a rock and roll drummer. Well, concerned about a lifetime of pounding decibels and the tinnitus that could result, I mean, just ask Pete Townsend of The Who, I decided to start him outright. So when we bought the drum set, I went so far as to buy my youngest son full ear protection, similar to the big earmuffs that air service crew wear under the wings on the runways. How, then, could I require all these safety behaviors in my kids and then turn around and model risk in my own behaviors? My guess is that having kids is the turning point in all of our lives, where we change from risk-accepting youthful ignorance to safety-seeking adult consciousness. But, even... Having kids didn't seal the deal. Sure, I'd be out there in full PPE when my kids were around the house. But to be truthful, I would take those same old risks when the kids were not around. If they were at school or over at a friend's house, I'd be out there mowing, not bagging, having only half the PPE on that I should have had. The positive consequences of modeling safe behaviors, well, they only exist when those novices Are around to see it. Otherwise, it doesn't maintain our safe behavior. This is Tim breaking into this podcast to tell you about my book, Dysfunctional Practices That Kill Your Safety Culture. A manager finds himself on top of a stepladder. A woman removes the guard to her machine. A worker is not wearing her safety glasses in the plant. A rustabout uses the wrong size clamp instead of retrieving the right tool. A supervisor teaches a new worker to take a shortcut. A mechanic climbs on top of an active machine to find the oil leak. Why do these folks do these things? Is it because they're stupid? We'll find out. Read or listen to the first chapter of Dysfunctional Practices on safetydoc.com. Dysfunctional Practices, available now on Amazon and Lulu.com. And now, back to our podcast. What really changed my behavior? For good. Even when nobody's watching. Well, it happened in my 30s when I was out mowing on some nice Saturday afternoon. The kids were in the garage and I was fully outfitted in my PPE. Or so I thought. I was halfway done with the lawn when my youngest, Forrest, then eight years old, came out to me waving. Dad, dad, dad. And I put my hand out, you know, motioning him for it to stop. And I turned off the mower. And what happened next? Well, it changed my life. I, I still get choked up, goosebumpy, telling the story. He ran up. He ran up to me. Dad, dad. And from behind his back, he said, you forgot these. And he pulled out and handed me those earmuffs. Those earmuffs I brought, I bought for him, for his drumming. I wasn't wearing hearing protection. Now, surely I had knowledge of possible hazards and the injuries that could occur. Certainly, I knew that I was modeling behaviors that could influence others. But, you know, these consequences simply weren't strong enough to maintain my safety behavior when, when nobody else was around. The single biggest thing that influences my safety choices to this very day was that very act of caring offered by my son to me on that day. It wasn't some top-down rule established by the family or procedure. It wasn't some training seminar or incentive program. No. Instead, it was Forrest taking his time to protect me or help me protect myself. And he did that because he cares. He cares for me. And you know what? Now, I will never let him down by taking unnecessary risks, even even when he's not around. I know he cares. So I don't want him to find out his dad hurt himself by taking some unnecessary risk. I also firmly believe that he did this for me because I had been looking out for him too. This is how a strong safety culture works. A safety culture is not just one's personal safety behaviors, nor is it the result of safety management systems or training. It's not even the impact of leadership behaviors emphasizing safety as a top priority. Instead, a safety culture is a place where people talk to each other about safety. And the most profoundly impactful version of this is when individuals offer acts of caring to each other. We show we care through suggesting better protective equipment, like my son did for me, or offering safer alternatives to get the work done, or when we volunteer our time to work on safety committees, or or when we watch out for each other and we give feedback in a respectful, caring way telling our peers that we're concerned about them. We know their families, and we want to keep them safe. Peer-to-peer caring is the most powerful consequence, it's the most powerful there is in the workplace. And you know what? It's also the cheapest. So it gets me down when some safety professionals claim that behavioral safety doesn't work. You know, when I look into BBS programs, and I often do, I often travel and evaluate these programs. So when I look at these programs, they, they seem to have this limited effectiveness, typically because I only find the trappings of an observation card and some data analysis system. And after I dig around a bit, I find that the observations are being done by supervisors or a chosen few. What's missing is the opportunity for peers To take a couple minutes to demonstrate their care for their fellow workers. It's a tricky thing to grow, this safety culture, but it's more than just an engineered process. Luckily, we have our families to learn from. Take care. This podcast is a production of SafetyDoc.com and is copyrighted by Timothy Ludwig, Ph.D., all rights reserved. For those small doses of inspiration, visit safetydoc.com. If you would like Dr. Ludwig to speak at your corporate or society safety function, simply use the contact link on safetydoc.com. Thanks for listening.